Hello, and welcome to an intro to Anthro with two humans. I'm human number one, John McCrae. And I'm human number two, John Lear. And this is the podcast where we reassess what it means to be human. And the title of this episode is Football Fans and Football Fools, The Divine Madness of Sports Fandom. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure you're very excited about this one, John. I absolutely am. I mean, I'm an avid football fan. I think it comes <laughs> from my dad, but yeah. my family is none of them are. And they just think I'm cr- totally insane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of the way it is. If, if you're the only football fan in the house, that's usually how it is. Mary seems uh, pretty supportive of your addiction to football. She that's a, is su- flashback to our last episode yeah yeah uh she is supportive uh what's kind of interesting is um um she is supportive (laughs) (laughs) well you know it's uh well first of all i just want to say this is kind of i want to say thank you to one of our listeners jamie yes who had sent in to us and it said you know we always ask like if you have a topic that you feel like humanity needs to know about or a question and she had sent in, and, and people are kind of taking your your cue on this, John. It was just like, what about man caves and everything sports? <laughs> so they just kind of say that. Uh, which is a great topic. I want to get back to man caves, because I think yeah. man caves is a great topic. I do, too. Uh, I was already working on something. I had working on just football. But then when Jamie mentioned uh, sports, I was like, okay, that it's perfect. Perfect. Yes. So we yes. will try to add a little bit to uh, just sports in general to this one. Yeah. And then Jamie, just know that we'll come back to man caves. But, <laughs> but again, if anybody has a topic, send them in because we, we are responsive <laughs> to our audience. Yes. Now, to say that, I mean, about man caves and about Mary, the reason why I wanted to get to that was, yeah. uh, you know, Mary is a sheer fan. And Mary yes, I know. has, a, a, she has sharescholar.com, which is the it, website. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. <laughs> yes. Uh, she also has a blog. She writes articles about uh, popular culture with, uh, you know, with through the lens of share, but it's actually talking about music and popular culture. It's so oh, brilliantly done. It, it really yeah. is. It has a sense of humor, but also very erudite as well, I guess I would say. And well and researched. and fan faithful. Yeah. She's not making fun. She is a legit fan, but she just oh, yeah. jumps off from there to all of these incredible uh, angles. Right. And and I'm not sure when you were out here last, she hadn't created the share shed yet. Oh, yes. Yes, it oh, was. was, it? It was <laughs> I mean, it may have come further, but it was fully on in my, yeah. I mean, yeah. She has a, a she shack, but it's uh, it's all it's all share to share yeah. shack. It, it's a shed in our backyard that is a, 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 like a legitimate shed. At one time, they used to make beer in there. Like the mm. for, former owners, they did stained glass out there or glass blowing, and now oh. it's full of share memorabilia. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you saw it, you would think, "Oh, McCray's got all of his tools out there." So. No, it no. is full on share, like yes. share, like a museum. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. It's it's presented <laughs> like a museum. It's not just yeah. boxes of stuff. It's all, you know, it's it's for the viewer. It's built for right. the fan. And and, and uh, you know when uh, when we moved here and she was putting together the share shed, mm-hmm. uh, I was actually taking a graduate level course in museum administration over at UNM. Mm. And so one of my projects was you had to come up with a collections plan for a collection. So I did it for the share shed. So the share oh. shed actually is like run like a legitimate museum out there. That's like all- fantastic. <laughs> you can see that. The, I, uh, now I did not know that, but I can see yeah. your hand in it. Now, let oh, me yeah. ask you something. When you guys saw the house, how quickly was the shack uh taken for how how quickly was it assigned to share it was assigned pretty quickly when we moved in yeah like <laughs> say how did yes. it happen how did do you remember how did it go down 
Well, she had had, I was kind of for it because she had had everything in our garage boxed mm-hmm. up. And mm-hmm. she has an extensive collection because she's been yes. collecting since she was like five years old. Yeah. And uh, and it was just a shame to see all of that boxed up. It's like, yeah. you have to get it out. You have to get it out. Yeah. And uh, and honestly, what am I? <laughs> I don't have any. I don't have any hobbies except uh, the show, which I didn't have at that time. Right. Uh, you're but not anyway. a glass blower. You're sober. <laughs> you're not going to brew any beer. You're yeah, not a handyman per se. I mean, you're not bad, but it's not like yeah. you enjoy woodworking or anything. Oh, oh yeah. I'm. I'm. I'll be honest about it. Like, I'm an awful handyman. Awful <laughs> handyman. I'm just like at a certain point, I, I have. I'm just like, ah, screw it. You know, I'll <laughs> yeah, just pay takes, somebody to come out and do it. So yeah, it takes patience for sure. Uh, but anyway, so it was just, it was a perfect fit. It's a large shed. Yeah, it is. In our backyard. But I tell you when I had to have, uh, I had to have an electrician come out and rewire a light in there for us not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember as I was walking out there with him, uh, it suddenly dawned on me what was full of it. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, oh shit. Yeah. And I, I had to say to him, he was like an older guy. I'm like, like, do you? Do you like share? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, what? <laughs> I go, do you like share? And he goes, the singer? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I like her. Yeah, I go, well, who doesn't we'll like get, share? Well, get like, ready get for ready. this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, uh, so yeah, Mary, I mean, it just kind of, it's that fandom, you know what I mean? Yes. And, it's, and uh, and I know that, you know, she always says to me, like when we're watching the Chiefs or watching a football game and I get fully into like I, I'm screaming. It's all part of the catharsis. You know what well, I mean? Yeah. I mean, we're not Chiefs fans who have just jumped on the bandwagon. We both born and raised. We're in our yeah. 50s. You know, we we neither of us remember Super Bowl four, which was the last one we won. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but our but our families did, you know, and oh. we grew up and the Chiefs were just well, for a long time they were terrible. Yeah. And then they became heartbreakers where they were like good yeah. but would never, you know, get past. So it it's been a long haul as a Chiefs fan. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that. Uh I remember times in the late seventies, early eighties, you couldn't give Chiefs tickets away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, it, that's how bad they were. People would my say, "My dad like, hey. used to watch." He would watch every game and just get yeah. so fucking pissed, <laughs> just screaming and ah, yeah, yeah, and and it was uh, I, again. You go to the state like now the stadium's packed. You would go to the stadium. There would be hardly anybody in there. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like I remember yeah. a game where you could hear the players talking on the <laughs> sideline, like, like not not screaming, not yelling. They were just talking. You were hearing oh. them just talk about like a normal oh. conversation. That's how oh. quiet the stadium was. Brutal, brutal, <laughs> and brutally. It's an outdoor stadium, so it's really cold and yeah. miserable yeah. in the winter. Uh, so uh, you got to be a fan. Right. And so Mary, when I'm, when I'm watching and I'm so upset, uh, she always says to me, uh, it doesn't look like it's very much fun being a Chiefs fan. Like, why do you do it? Why do you do it? And, and to me, that's what's so crazy is like, you have a shed full of share memorabilia. Yeah. You're asking me, why right. do I, why do I do it? But you she know. doesn't throw, get pissed at her share memorabilia <laughs> and throw it around. She enjoys yeah. it. She gets pleasure yeah. from it. Whereas we're, <laughs> we're tortured by it. Right. And I think maybe that's, I think all sports fans are tortured by their love affair of their team, no matter how good their team is. Yeah. I think there's something that just, you, it's so emotional. And, and yes, it's, yes. You know, there are there are games that I I can't watch. I just can't do it. I have to, but I shouldn't. I should not watch them. Yeah. And and there's still like I'll go back to my happy place. Like I'll watch the last six minutes of that first Super Bowl that they oh. had a couple of years ago. Oh. If I'm feeling down, you know. Oh, I watched on YouTube the one when we won in 1971. <laughs> 
It's on YouTube. I watched the whole game. <laughs> yeah, you still get happy. You still get happy. <laughs> it made me so happy. Uh, now, before we go any further, I, I have to say, you and I have been to a Super Bowl together. Damn right we have. <laughs> Do you want to tell us uh, a little bit? Well, or? As, as some listeners may know, I was the original Geico Caveman from the Geico Caveman commercials. And I did Super Bowl commercials every year with Phil Sims. Like th- <laughs> I did like I did this for like three or four years, I think. And one year I did it with him, and this and the the ad was about the caveman trying to get free tickets from Phil to the Super Bowl. <laughs> like that's the, the the setup, and Phil's like trying to you know brush me off. And we're shooting the ad, and then we get to you know they cut and. And Phil says, hey, uh, would you like some Super Bowl tickets? And I'm like, wait a minute. Is he is he improvising? Yeah. Like, are we yeah. is he playing yeah. with me? Like, what's going on here? And I was like, Running finally, <laughs> yeah. And finally, I said yes. And he sent us. Uh, we were on the 50 yard line. We were yeah. up high where you kind of want to be because, I mean, they were great tickets, I thought. Yeah, yeah. We, he gave us hotel rooms <laughs> where all the players were. It was unbelievable. It was like I ne- we were, the two of us have never been so happy. I know he was the nicest guy. Like nicest we had to go guy. like meet him to get the tickets. Remember? Yes, he had the tickets. Yeah. We, he, uh, he was at the hotel in a in a conference room studying tapes yeah. for the Super yeah. Bowl. And huge, he was like, and he, huge and, guy, huge, <laughs> huge man. They all are. Yeah. And, and he, he didn't know me. He'd never met me. Cause he'd only yeah. met me with the makeup on. He goes, are you the guy? And I'm like, yeah. And then <laughs> Solomon, uh, what's his name? The Solomon Wilcox the, or whatever. Yeah. He, he came was over. there. Right. Yeah. And, and he was yeah. like, oh my God, you're the kid. Like they were fanboying on me. <laughs> it was and so great. Every, it was so great to watch. Everybody in the hotel were, were football players. Yeah. Like we were in yeah. the center of it all. Do you remember? I mean, we saw yeah. everywhere yeah. we looked was a famous football player. Yeah. God, it was, that was remember, great. Uh, Chris Collinsworth. Remember like Phil Sims yes. introduced you to Chris Collinsworth. He was like, yeah, yeah you're funny oh, stuff. You're the caveman. Funny, yeah, yeah, I met Chris Collinsworth. God, he was huge. <laughs> They're all enormous people. <laughs> I know. I know. They're just enormous. Uh, I have a couple of stories to tell. Matt, before we went to that, yeah, I for my work, and I can't say what I do, but for my work, I had gone back to testify in front of Congress <laughs> that week a few days before, and uh, and I remember after I testified, they were uh, like some people there in in Congress were like, "Hey, do you want to hang out and meet some politicians? You know, some people and just say, yeah. and I was like, "No, I got to get no. out of here." I, I'm going to the Super Bowl with my best friend, the Geico Caveman, as a guest of Phil Sims. And I sounded like a crazy person. They just looked at me like, what the, who the hell is this? Who did this nutball we just let testify in front of Congress? You what, know? Do you, what did you just say? <laughs> I know we were like little schoolboys. The whole—I yeah. mean, we were just—it was—it was amazing. We got yeah. up super early. Uh, we watched TV. We went to the pregame. There's a whole carnival that goes on around yeah. the Super Bowl. You can go in and see the trophy, and you can yeah. see all the yeah. rings. And you—we rode. Did we ride on some rides? I think we did. <laughs> we went on that like the Scrambler or whatever. Or something up in this. I mean, I have a photo of us. Like on the carnival rides. Oh God, you've got to post that. Uh, God, that was amazing. That was, and I still oh. thank you so much for oh. for taking me. Thank with that. you. Really- that was that was so satisfying on every level. <laughs> but, but remember, we uh, it, it was one of those things when we got there. Remember, he he wasn't at the hotel yet, or he was busy right. or something, and we were just and- like, "Oh shit, is this all bullshit?" <laughs> He really was joking, you know. Yeah, really- we never, we didn't know for sure till we had those tickets in hand. Yeah, oh. uh, but I always, you know, everybody, whenever you know, you get a bunch of football people, they're always like, "Who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time?" Quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they'll always go on about Tom Brady. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's the goat, and yeah. I always have to Phil Sims. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Sims, he's the greatest, the greatest of all time. <laughs> 
Yes, it's the greatest you're of all right. time. You're right. The greatest yeah. of I don't all care. time. Brady, Brady never yeah. gave us Super Bowl no, tickets. No, never gave us nothing. <laughs> he just gave us a lot of losses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, John, I, you've mentioned it already about how the Chiefs were for a long time were horrible. Like 50 horrible. years they were horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They went 50 and, years without winning a Super Bowl, one of the right. longest streaks in uh in 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 sports. Uh yeah. you know, and uh yeah, and then they went. And did you find it, it when you follow a team that's a perennial loser? Yes. I think it begins to have an effect on how you define yourself as yes. well. I totally <laughs> agree. I took great pride in the fact that I was that I was a fan of my team no matter what. Right. And as they and as they continued to lose over the decades, it it became kind of a blanket of sort. Like it was it was comfortable. I knew I mean yeah. I would still get yeah. upset and I would <clears throat> still have high hopes every season like an idiot. Yeah. yeah. But there was something about it and I took great pride in it. And I told my kids that I, I you know that hey you you know you you're not, you can't just jump on a bandwagon. You got to right, you know stick right. with your team, and <laughs> and then when they won, it really was kind of a crisis for me. Uh, um, yeah. you know, uh, it, it, emotionally and 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 spiritually, because yeah. now yeah. I was one of the assholes that won. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. like what? Wait. Now I don't have that anymore. I'm not the guy who followed. You know what I mean? It was kind of a crisis moment for me. Yeah, I would say there was uh, cognitive dissonance after they won the Super Bowl because I had built my whole personality was like the Chiefs of like lovable losers. They'll try, (laughs) but they'll never never make it. But hey, they'll be back next year. Always try. Yep. Yep. And and then it was like. you know, once they won, it's like I can no longer say that. It right. was really hard. I think I'm still dealing with it. Yes. Right <laughs> <laughs> I think we're both kind of in a state of shock these past yeah. few years. These, what, five years, four years yeah. since they've been good? Yeah. yeah, we're both kind of in a state of shock. We keep waiting for the other shoe to drop or something, and it's not. Yeah. I mean, they're a they're a machine. <laughs> they're a juggernaut. They they no. We have the best player in the league on the yeah. Chiefs. It's so yeah. bizarre. It's it's so strange. And I will, you know, for fifty years, I said, you know, Lord, <laughs> my prayer would be, Lord, just give me one Super Bowl. That's all I want. And. And winning, winning is like drugs. Once you give one Super Bowl, that's all you ever want. It's got to yeah. be another Super Bowl. Oh, it's know. almost, if they don't get it, then it's like a, a losing season. <laughs> yeah, it's it nothing. ruins it all. But I'll tell you, in my when I center myself, yeah. there is a part of me that's like, you know what? If they don't win, I'm, I'm okay. We've still yeah. we got that one. Like in, if yeah. I can center myself and like think about it, I'll be like, okay, okay, yeah. But if I'm watching the game, <laughs> it's gotta be, that it's one they won be. last. Oh Jesus, yeah. the one they won last season. There was a little yeah. girl in the room where we were all watching it. She's like, not little girl, but she's like fourteen. Yeah, and she was saying stuff like, "Well, John, it doesn't look so good for you because the Chiefs were down. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't look so good for your Chiefs." And then when the Chiefs started coming back, I was literally standing, pointing at her, going, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? You know, and she's just looking at me like, what? Yeah. I was in a group of people. None of them were football fans, so they were all watching. They thought it was, you know, you would talk and eat food. And I'm jumping up, and I'm a crazy person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a, a benefit to like, first of all, you don't want to, if you're a, a sports fan, you don't want to be with a bunch of people who aren't no. sports fans. You don't want to be with anybody. I don't want to be with anybody. I don't want it's my family like, around. I don't want anybody. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, if you're a Star Trek fan, don't watch Star Trek with people who aren't fans. <laughs> because yeah. they won't. They'll be making jokes. Yeah. Nanu, and talking. Nanu, and yeah, oh. yeah. 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 Exactly. And Look Super at the Bowl parties. No. Super Bowl parties suck. 
Yeah. Because the volume's always on full. You still can't understand it. Everybody's talking. Yeah. It sucks. I hate Super Bowl parties. <laughs> yeah. And half the people, it's not their team. You know what I mean? You're it's right. like, oh, my team's there. I'm just watching the commercials or something. There, was a, and it's there like, was a period where I watched this. Yeah, exactly. Or the halftime show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a period when I watched the Super Bowl with Jennifer's uh, grandfather, who at that point yeah. was in his late 80s, early 90s. And it was wonderful. <laughs> Nobody yeah. said a word. It was fantastic. <laughs> just quiet. It's quiet. Just I would Watch go down the to the game. senior. I would go down to the senior center, center, and they had like a little TV room, and it'd be just me and him. It was fantastic. <laughs> so anyway, John, so that gives us a little background of how much we love sports. Yeah, and so I think now we could move into like why? Why is it that people? love sports and go crazy about sports. Yeah. Uh, and in his book, The Meaning of Sports, Michael Mandelbaum makes the point that for those who don't, do not share the love of sports, the obsession can, can seem sinister. <laughs> <laughs> and he quotes Fran Lebowitz, and apparently Fran Lebowitz once said, what is truly chilling is that there are a lot of smart people interested in sports. That just gives you no hope for the human race. <laughs> That is so well said. Yeah, yeah. But I think you could say that about any obsession that you don't share. That you don't share. But there's a savageness, a competition, a stone cold must win kind of thing with sports that I think taps into the the darkest parts of what it means to be a human. (laughs) You know? Maybe you don't like somebody who collects like, you know. Uh, vintage purses or something. They're right. like out there, like get, like wanting to get in fights or something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you yeah. go to soccer games and people are killing each other. They're right. hooligans, hoodlums. Right. Uh, so Mandelbaum, he he's has written a great book. That book is like re- the meaning of sports. He really goes in depth about why people are into sports. Hmm. And uh, and but what he says is that the idea of playing team sports for fun is a relatively recent concept. Really? And that's really only going back to like the uh, 19th century. Really? But 1800s. I thought the Aztecs had a game where they, that was like rollerball where they threw it through a yeah, stone yeah. circle or something. I mean, but there, maybe, were, there were, but maybe like, that wasn't a team sport. Maybe it was just individuals trying to do I it. I think it was a team sport, but I think he's talking about like, in like a big worldwide you phenomenon. Know, yes. Phenomenon. Yeah. Um, because if you think about like the Greek and Roman games were almost always like an individual yes. was competing against another individual. Yes, true. And uh, and in the, the book, The Anthropology of Sport, Nico Besnier, Susan Brownell, and Thomas Carter state that the concept of sport, meaning an athletic competition with a clear winner at the end, was invented in Britain in the mid-19th century. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you had your, like, you talk about the Aztec game or the, the Mayan game. Yeah. But but we're talking about how we see it with the rules and everything. Right. For, right. Yeah. And uh, and the reason Mandelbaum says that that's the re- uh, why sports didn't come about until the 19th century is that prior to that time, and we've mentioned it before on the show, kids usually, once you were old enough, to kind of function on your own, you went to work. Yeah. <laughs> you went to work in the factory. Yeah. yeah, you did. And it wasn't until like the mid 19th century that there was a time kind of set aside. Adolescence is what we we know it now, but there became a time where kids, before you went off to work, you had a few years in there where you were supposed to go to school and recreate. And kind of, yeah. Yeah. Just be a kid, you know. Interesting. And, and it was because that was a time of going to schools that these sports became, they would play the team sports at schools. Uh-huh, and so that's right. how sports became associated with schools. Interesting. They were in just the, trying the, to come up with activities that engaged a lot of kids, probably. Right. You know? Exactly. And it, it was, interesting. Uh, and there was uh, the other thing they thought that this was that sports would teach the, the skills that were needed to later, uh, lead the nation, for hmm. example, like in the private school, like Eton, for example, in uh, in England. They thought that you would have sports like soccer or rugby that was teaching kind of the 
uh, the traits that you wanted in your future leaders of the country. Hmm. Okay. And then uh, also what Mandelbaum says is that the Industrial Revolution also is, assisted uh, team sports by bringing a lot of people to the cities. And when you brought a lot of people to the cities for jobs, then you had a lot of people that, first of all, that you, you, know, you could recruit your team from. Right. But also you had a lot of people who wanted to do something on their one day off, <laughs> which was right. go out and watch, watch sports. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, and we're talking like cricket was probably an early and soccer, I'm sure. Was, yeah. Yeah. Soccer probably was the earliest. Yeah. Yeah. That was like a ball games using where people are just trying to like kick a ball around. Usually that like the historic soccer, I think, was in towns, like through the town. And they, just everybody would just be like two sides would be trying to grab the ball and take it you know, <laughs> to the other side. So very violent. A wow. lot of fighting. Um, but from that, it evolved into soccer and then rugby and then football for us. Incredibly violent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and another thing Mandelbaum says is that uh, sports appeal to human needs that were previously addressed only by religion. Hmm. I, was gonna, they, I thought you were going to say war. You know, yeah. that, like the lack yeah. of war. Uh, you know, it tapped into that. Like football is like yeah. basically war. It's it, you're you're taking ground, and right. you yeah, and the and the pieces or or chess. I guess it's like a little like chess because the different yeah. players can do different things, have certain rules, but the idea yeah. is to gain more ground yardage. And, and I guess I was reading a history of football itself, and. There was a conscious effort for football, the rules, everything, to make it all about uh, tactical decisions, uh -huh. strategy, you know, whereas yeah. the, the like kind of almost like take out chance, like uh -huh. you wanted, like there's still some chance involved, but it wants to be uh, a skill almost like chess, like you were saying, where yeah. everybody is so skilled that they know what they're doing. And it's yeah. all about how the two generals the field generals are yes. competing against each other yes yes you know. yes um but one of the things that mandelbaum says he goes sports and organized religion share several important features both address the needs of the spirit and the psyche mm. rather than those of the flesh mm -hmm. neither bears directly on what is necessary for physical survival such as food and shelter <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's like it's not keeping us alive watching these games mm-hmm and both stand outside the working world. So in other words, just like with religion, these we go, we watch the game. It's giving us something spiritually. Yes. You know. No question. If you <clears throat> if you've ever seen a game at Wrigley Field, uh yeah. you know what you 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 feel that. And I I I assume that um you know green where green bay plays um yeah, uh, Lambo, uh, Lambo. Thank you. Where they yeah. play, and the Chief Stadium is like that because it's been it's the same stadium for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah. And I think the Buffalo, Buffalo yeah. Stadium too. Buffalo. You can see it when you're watching there. Like it's it's something that it's very reverential. You're going. Yes. It's it's spirituality to it that you're sharing yeah. this with everybody. Yeah, it's a uh, very communal experience. Right. Um, and he says the other thing is the drama involved and how sports are basically dramas yes. and how in the, you know, middle ages, you used to go to the globe theater or you, or, you know, ancient Egypt or ancient Greece, you would go see a drama at the theater. Now we go, or we watch sports or we go to the sports arena mm -hmm. for kind of that communal drama that we could feel with other people. Yes. And it somehow feels more real because there's no script per se. There's no, you know, it's it, it's yeah. happening before. Yeah. I always say to people who don't like don't get football, and I'm like, it's all it is is the world's most complicated reality show. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, in survival, they have all these activities they have to do. In Survivor, you know, they have all these activities. It's the same thing. It's, right. It, the the game itself is just a, a component of it all. Yeah, you know? and he describes it like 
it as in a drama, you have like a hero. Yeah. And and they always try to build it up when you're watching, but you feel it even if you go see a game live yeah. and you can't hear the announcer. The announcers all do it. Or the like yeah. the television when they televise it. You right. have the hero, you have the villain. Yes. You know, uh, and there's certain things that just like in a drama, like the like the heroes have to overcome something yes. to win yes. the prize, you know, yes. or to get to the end of it, whether it be yes. through the season or through the game. Yeah. Absolutely. And these are, the hero's journey, you know, it, yeah, it's it's yeah. yeah. And it and it's all again, it's all things that are part of drama. And mm-hmm. he even talks about how team sport, it's interesting that team sports uh, became popular or started in like the 1840s with soccer and rugby in England. Interesting. And that's also the time that the detective novel came around. And he's saying it's just like with the detective novel, sports kind of gives you that tension where like uh-huh. you don't know who's going to win. Uh-huh. But yet... But like, but like in the detective, who done it? Who done it? Right, right. But you know, in a detective novel, the, the setup is always the same. Like you, you know, the detective. You know, there's a murder that starts out in the beginning. You know, it's in an old house. You know, there's yes. lots of suspects. Yes. You don't know how it's going to end, but you kind of you immediately there are lots know, of tropes, <clears throat> lots of handles, lots of, right. of of things that you're comfort familiar with. Right. Huh. That's really interesting. And that's kind of what he says is like, that's what a sports game, because you could be watching a football game anywhere. Mm. And if you know the rules already, you kind of already got it. Like right yes. when it starts, you know what everybody's doing or what the purpose yeah. of what they're doing is. That's true. That's absolutely so you, true. You could just sit back and enjoy the drama, the ebb and flow of the game. And, yes. and the tension of not knowing how is this going to end. It's going to end. Right. Because there's a time limit on there it. There will be a winner. <clears throat> Right. Uh, in almost all cases. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, you're right. There's something very comforting about that. Even watching the Chiefs lose all those games, <laughs> dozens and yeah. dozens and dozens of games. Yeah. Uh, our friend Carlos, who's a super fan, is a Jets fan. Yeah. And, same thing. Oh, my God. I, it, yeah. It, it's so similar. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. <laughs> when Just Aaron... Wait. When Aaron Rodgers, like four plays <laughs> into the first game, was out for the season, this like superstar quarterback, there were all these Instagram videos of of Jets fans who were really yeah. excited. I mean, they had yeah. one of the best players. <clears throat> and just there's this great video of a guy <laughs> just in pure shock. And and one guy going no no he's gonna get up he's gonna you know just <laughs> the denial and the shock and the, it's just so painful to watch as yeah, a Chiefs yeah. fan because I I know exactly that feeling. But isn't that that's the drama of it all? Yes, though. it is. That, yeah, like you know, there's still an element that you don't know what's going. It's like improv almost. It's like an yeah. improv show. You have the structure, but Absolutely. once it gets going. You don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. People say, why do you rehearse improv? And I say, well, it's like, think about like the, and I use a sports thing. It's like, it's like the triangle offense for the bulls, you know? Yeah. You you have a certain game plan, but if the shot's open, take it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Another thing that uh, Mandelbaum talks about is that uh, sports stars, uh, demonstrate certain idealized traits or they're supposed to we expect yes. them to yes we and do. that's like some of the things that they they demonstrate is uh like hard work brings success mm-hmm. you know so they always talk about like oh he put the work in at practice yeah he's a gym rat he comes he's the first yeah, there yeah. and the last to leave yeah and that's kind of something that we as a culture as a society think that we can you know emulate in other parts of of the world yeah or Even other parts we don't do it even though none of us yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. Hell I can't no. wait to get it. I'm the to last get one in in the first round. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I want to get home and watch a football game. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, God, just get me back on the bench. <laughs> like, I am exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, Charlie Horse. Charlie Horse. <laughs> um, the other thing, they're able to perform under pressure. Which is yeah, something immense. as we as a culture like to to think, you know, of yeah. like, oh, look at him. He's got 20 seconds left to go. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, 
It is insane putting those young 20-somethings in those oh, positions. It's just so yeah. intense. Just the, and, and knowing that if you drop it, everybody in the world is going to be commenting on it mm. and talking about what a failure you were. So it's just, it's awful. It must be yeah. awful. I have the same experience when I failed, except the only difference is nobody says anything because nobody saw it <laughs> except for me. <laughs> you should you should still blog about it. You should still get on there like, that sucks. What was he doing? Taking the car in and on a Saturday morning. <laughs> Uh, the other thing is that they overcome obstacles, which we like, and they always build that up when you're watching the game on TV is, you know, like, oh, well, they, they had so many players that were down and, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, 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 uh, the hero's journey, you know, it's a yeah. overcoming. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these were lessons that probably myths at one time, like you're saying the hero's journey, uh, theater at one time probably provided to us. If of... you've ever read Iron Man, you know that. <laughs> yeah, that's essentially yeah. every football game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing I thought was interesting is Mandelbaum talks about how each of our major sports—baseball, football, and basketball—correspond to a certain age in American development as a nation. Whoa. What? So, yeah. So I'm not sure. I mean, sometimes you read things and you're like, you know, I don't know if you're just making a connect. But what is that? Let me predict. Except- let me let me see if I can figure out. Okay. Basketball <laughs> is for the younger folk. Then you move to football and then you end up in baseball. Is uh, that- well, I'm, I'm talking about like as a nation. At, oh, uh, our development as a nation. Oh, I see. It- Jesus. So he talks about baseball came around like the mid 1800s. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, It kind of corresponds to the agrarian age of our country. So go to the park. You. Right. uh, Yeah. It's. Yeah. That makes sense. And if you look at it like the the uh, the season for a baseball game is basically the growing season. Yes. (laughs) For for an air. You start in the spring and then it ends in the fall. You know. Yeah. And, Interesting. And again, it was kind of a slower time there. So he says, you know, and this is before they put in the pitch clock to kind of speed the games up, which yeah. I, I don't know if I. Well, now they if get, you, uh, yeah, it, it it's clear that America is is baseball will always be a part of Amer of our culture, but it's yeah. clear that it's that it's waning a little. Yeah, uh, I mean yeah. the the pitch clock. I get it to try to speed the game up, but there was yeah. something about if you went for a baseball game, you knew you were going to be there. You <laughs> di- you didn't know how long you would be there. It yeah. was open ended. You yeah. know what I mean? The, it doesn't end till it ends. Yeah, and that they could step off the you know the rubber up on the mound that you could step off. Yeah, they they could talk as much as they wanted. <laughs> they yeah, take as much time in between. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so he, he says that was kind of a slower period. So then he goes, football is a game of the industrial revolution, hmm. meaning like like you've mentioned already, each player has their own certain role that there's uh, their job that they uh, have to do where you fit on the conveyor belt to put the Model T together. Exactly. We're all <laughs> working together, but we all have our own jobs and we all have to run together like a machine. Uh-huh, to accomplish yeah. what we want to do. Very and, rehearsed, very organized, very ritualized. Yeah. And he says the other thing, it's all about time. Whereas like the baseball game used to be no time, no time right. limit, the agrarian. The football game is all about managing your time, just all like the Industrial it. Revolution. I remember yeah. at the end of the last Super Bowl, uh, that same uh, young uh, woman that I, you know, accosted when my team started <laughs> to win was really bummed out that the Chiefs decided to take the ball and sit on it uh, yeah. at the end yeah. and not score and not give uh, Philly any time to uh, respond. And I'm like, yeah. that's the way the game's played. That's part of it. She goes, it's yeah. stupid. Like, you know, she was, Yeah, it was so interesting. Because you have to, I mean, I think that adds to the tension. You have yes. to manage on top of everything. You got to manage those timeouts. Yeah, you got to manage getting out of bounds. You got to manage yep. how much clock is left, mm-hmm. and so that's what Mandelbaum is saying. That's all industrial revolution. That's a okay. A I buy that. Order. I buy that. 
And then he says, finally, the uh, basketball is the postmodern sport, meaning that, mm. yeah, everybody, everybody kind of plays everything. We're all kind of like knowledge experts, like, uh-huh. like you have like a, a computer experts or whatever. We all like you have five guys on a team, right? But they're all sometimes they're sh- offense, sometimes they're defense. One guy may be shooting, but it doesn't really matter what is, you know. It's, we're all it's kind of so about flow and hive yeah. mind and groupthink and 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 uh, improvisation and yeah yeah, yeah. that's interesting yeah. that's interesting so I, I don't know I thought that was interesting I don't know me too <laughs> it makes sense I don't know I, yeah me, it does but, it does yeah uh, and then what uh, Besne Brannell and Carter say also is that sport fuses experiences that are otherwise considered contradictory, such as playfulness and seriousness, leisure and work, hmm. individualism and collectivism, hierarchy and equality and morality and corruption. Interesting. It, and I think that's where you get, it's just a game. You know, everybody tries to say like, whenever they talk about like, Oh, it's so much, you know, it's fun. We're being, paid to play a game or whatever, but people want to kill each other yes. <laughs> over, this, over this game. You know yeah. what I mean? People have killed do. each other yeah. over it. Yeah. Yeah. It stirs up something so deep, us versus them, you know, like it, in, in politics, you see it in politics, you know, especially yeah. now. Uh, yeah. It's just this tribalism, this it's deep, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I always find it because you you mentioned like the hooliganism in Europe, yeah. which is yeah. really bad. Yeah. Uh, where it's very organized, like big groups of people fighting each other. Yeah. But, but you're starting to see a lot more fighting at football games here. Yep. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. If you go to a visitor's game and wear, I mean, uh, somebody else's home game and you're wearing yeah. your team shirt, chances are something, you know. I remember yeah. being at a Chargers game. I think it was with you. Yeah. And somebody yeah. threw ketchup packets at us. Yeah. They were all through. I thought we were going to get in a, a, Me in a too. fight in that game when we were leaving, honestly. Yeah, but they that didn't how... know. We had you as our yeah. secret weapon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the other one, Carlos and I, our friend Carlos, who's a Jets fan, invited me to go down to see the Jets play the Chargers one time when they were in San Diego. And... Carlos and I, we were just shocked. There were so many fights. So yeah. many fights in the city. And so finally, after the game, we were like, well, let's just go over to Starbucks. You know, there's a Starbucks near the state. Let's just go over there and get a coffee and wait for the crowd to, to die down. Smart. And we went over there and and a fight broke out at the Starbucks. Wow. <laughs> there were, there were Between there. like Jets fans and Chargers just, fans? Or just Carlos drunken? Just drunken. We came out of the Starbucks, and the guy next to us got cold cocked by another guy. Holy like, crap! Yeah, Just for no reason. Maybe there had. I mean, maybe there was a reason. But Carlos and I, we were just you know, you got that that cool jazz playing at a Starbucks. You don't expect to see like a like a Donnie Brook at a you know at a Starbucks. You know, there's hot wow. coffee around there, but they, they were incredible. fighting at the Starbucks. Yeah, Jesus. Uh. And again, it's like you reach a point, I think, as a fan where the the team begins to represent you like we were talking mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they get your pride going or something. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't want to see that that guy dissing your team at the, the stadium yeah, or something. Yeah, you know? it, it hurts. It gets really personal. And if yeah. you're someone who deal, can't, you know, who's, you know, you deal with feelings physically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but and also, you know, there's tons of alcohol in, involved in it. It's, I, I don't, I don't yeah. know how how people get maybe because it, you have to. It's so expensive to get drunk at the stadium. You have to like down a twelve pack out in the the parking lot before you go in to save money. You know, yeah, you can't even sneak flasks in anymore. They yeah. search you, and you go through metal detectors and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody's just back like, in my day, people would come in with the baseball hats with the two <laughs> beers on either side, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are the times. I mean, uh, you and I went to, remember, we went, we wore kilts to a game one time. I sure do. Yeah. I went with you and your brothers. You guys all wore yeah. kilts to the yeah. Raiders game, Chiefs Raiders at Arrowhead in the winter. Yeah. 
Oh my <laughs> God, that was cold. That people say, yeah. you know, the kilts are actually keep you warm. That's not true. Yeah. That's not true. <laughs> well, they do for a while. But I, I think turns also out pants are better than kilts. <laughs> you know, my, my brother Steve, the thing is, you got to be drinking scotch the whole yeah. time. Like, well, like, yeah. that's how then it you is. can be nude. Yeah. <laughs> but you and I were stone cold sober. Yeah. Oh my oh. God, it was cold. Jesus. Well, how cold do you think it was? It was, we were up high too, because yeah. my brother's seats were way up high. And it just that wind whipping around and oh, on those cold, those I cold, miserable uh, plastic seats. Oh, <laughs> it had to be in the teens, don't you think? It yeah. was cold, cold. Yeah. Yeah. It got Ooh. down. Ooh. We were drink, drinking no duels. <laughs> yeah. drinking no duels. I was praying for death. I was just praying for death. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted the Chiefs to win and me to die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just so you could see it and then be like, ugh. Not like bad. Not like. bad. I'd take that. I'll take that. <laughs> uh, in his book, The Soccer Tribe, the anthropologist Desmond Morris talks about the tribal origins of soccer. And and I don't know if I actually agree with this one, but he talks about it's kind of the same argument that people made when we were talking about the paleo diet. And he talks about at one time, you know, our ancestors were hunters and gatherers and we had to be more athletic and intelligent. And then he says um, we had to work as a team. We had to cooperate and devise tactics and set traps, uh, which sounds a lot like team sports. Mm. And then he says when when, you know, 10,000 years ago, when we created farming and agriculture, uh, then we didn't have that anymore. And, right. and so and, and again, to me, it's like the same argument with paleo paleo diet in that his idea is that we're still culturally we still want to be those hunters who are out there like ch- working together, chasing the prey. And that's the reason why we, we love sports so much. Well, I, you know, I, I think I, as I was saying earlier, there's something about our love for sports that is deep reptilian brain stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, and you, you do have to volunteer, you, you are, you do have to collaborate and, and work together to take down a woolly mammoth or one of yeah. those big sloths. <laughs> yeah, things, yeah, the ones that were the size of a car. Yeah, yeah, Could very just, slow, but the size of a car. <laughs> very <laughs> slow, but Jesus. Uh, but I think you know he he kind of makes this again. He's like looking at from an anthropological standpoint of the tribalism, which you've mentioned before. Yeah, yeah. And there's some things that he talks about, which is like the the soccer game, for example, is a ritual hunt or a stylized battle between two tribes, like the okay. two teams are tribes. Yeah. Uh, he also sees the, the soccer match as a religious ceremony where the field and the stadium are revered and people are joined by a common belief. Yes. I, I think yeah. that's absolutely true. When you go, the Super Bowl game that we went to was between the New Orleans Saints and yeah. the um, uh, Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. And we hated the Colts, you and I, because <laughs> they had destroyed the Chiefs. They were in the yeah. same uh, conference. And yeah. and 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 they had and so we were rooting for New Orleans and to see the difference right. in the fan base. The Indianapolis right. fans all wore jeans and sweaters with their sweaters tucked in. They were really <laughs> kind of uptight, all white. Yeah, uh, and yeah. the New Orleans fans were like as diverse as you can imagine. Yeah. No rhyme or reason, pure chaos, crazy outfits, Mardi Gras. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, we walked around the stadium and you could feel it. Like you, you went could... from Indianapolis side, very quiet before the game. Yeah. And then you get over to the New Orleans side. It was already a party going on. Oh, yeah. It was a party you know. from that morning on. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, he also talks about uh, it's a tribe. The game day is like a tribal gathering where yes. all the people they put on their regalia. Yes. You you know, everybody dresses up in their like, like if you look at it, everybody's putting on like their best, like the superstitious, you put on your religion, like the, the ceremonial garb yes. for the for the game, you know. Concerts can be like that too, like the Grateful Dead, you know, when everybody knew, and, and everybody was in on it. It was very yeah. friendly. I mean, there were people, outliers, but for the most part, it's this communal, deeply communal feeling. 
And then you yeah. mix in, you know, hallucinogens and boy, <laughs> then things really take off. Uh, and then Morris, he also talks about he divides up the fans and he's talking about soccer fans, but I think it also works for football fans in this country. Mm-hmm. He talks about the old supporters that, you know, the people who have devoted their whole lives to the team, you know, like you and me, like it. Yeah. Our team never loses, but occasionally they run out of time was like this <laughs> statement that he says, you know, like you're always perennially thinking that, you know, they're always they, the team can do no wrong. Right. You know, right. Okay. And then he talks about the experts who know everything, you know, where those are the guys who are always saying like, well, you know what they need to do is they need to uh-huh. get a new cornerback who does this or they need yeah. to run the, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, then there's the jokers who always yell out like caustic comments about like, ah, <laughs> you were that way. Remember you were like antagonizing the Chargers fans. Yes. We and I, I was the reason we got attacked. Because it, it was Priest Holmes who was our yeah. quarterback, and I kept making the cross. And uh, oh, yeah, God, that was yeah. fun. You were what driving them crazy. You were yeah. driving them crazy but because I was, was you, I was funny too. They didn't quite know yeah. how to take it. Yeah, they wanted to kill you, but they were laughing when they were doing. Uh-huh. It. Well, they, they they thought it was funny, and then it just reached a point where they're like, "We're gonna kill you, you motherfucker." <laughs> Ketchup, ketchup just raining down on this from like the upper deck. Remember, it was. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, then he talks about the barrackers who are the loud shouts of anger, you know, just people mm. who are just really mad, really yeah. mad at the That's game. That's my dad. That's my dad. <laughs> God damn it. Two things my dad hated the Chiefs losing and the Kansas win. He hated the win. <laughs> God damn fucking win. <laughs> That's a hard one to get over. I mean, yeah, you're never. Well, they both. They're both unmovable (laughs) forces. He was so mad at the wind. Oh, he hated it because he would try to seed the lawn and it would blow the seed away. (laughs) And, you know, he just hated that wind. Uh, He also talks about the martyrs and the martyrs never, (laughs) never shout, but moan and shake their heads. Oh, Yeah. (laughs) I can really. You know, so I'm all of these people. I think I know, I'm all me of too. them. Me too. Uh, and then he talks about the outsiders who are like, you know, you ever go to the game and there's somebody down there who you just can't figure out why they're there. Like they're yes. not cheering for either team. Yes. They're just sitting there watching it, trying to figure uh, it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so again, it's it's tribalism is, is, mm-hmm. is what Morris is saying. It's, okay. it's, uh, uh, we have the fanfare. We have the regalia. We have the clapping. We have the chance, you yes. know, when everybody does the same chance. Every, together, every like the, football team has a chant, right? What's, what's the stupidest chant you think in the NFL? I, I don't know. I would say <laughs> <It's> <laughs> we're going to talk about the Chiefs, the Chiefs soon. Yeah, but I think but, so. Although the yeah. skull in Minneapolis, Minnesota is pretty dumb. Or they just is, that, is that what? Yeah. 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 yeah <laughs> they just clap yeah. over their heads rhythmically. Yeah. But it's something about you by doing it, you get 80,000 people doing the same. And I hate to say it because that's probably what happened in Germany. Back in yes, the 30s. it is. Yeah. It tapped into the same communal. Yeah. Being yeah. a part of is a powerful thing. It's powerful. Yeah. And when you're there, like that energy, like takes control of you. Like when you and have everybody's 80, a friend, people, you're friends yeah. with everybody. We're all on the same team. Yeah. I always found that interesting when uh, whenever the Bulls would win in Chicago and walking home from a bar that night after they had won, like everybody's clapping. You would never go up and hug a stranger in Chicago at any time. But when the Bulls won the championship, you could do that. Yeah. You know what that I mean? That time with Jordan was a magical, magical yeah. time. And we were in Chicago during and the 85 Bears when they won. That. Yeah. And Chicago is one of those cities that sports is just core. It's the opposite right. of L.A. Yeah. Uh, one last thing that Morris talks about is uh, the souvenirs. These are like totems, right? These are. Yeah. yeah. 
You know what's weird? The sou- the weirdest souvenir is that those little bats that they sell at baseball games. Those little wooden bats. <laughs> yeah. I remember my dad bought us those, and we just immediately started hitting each other with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the worst thing to give to a little boy. Yeah. You know, the other thing, people always keep those in their car. Like, ah, in case I get in a fight, I'm going to get that bat. It's like... <laughs> That little bat's not gonna do anything. Your souvenir bat, you know. <laughs> Pull that out and come out. All right, come on, <laughs> come on, motherfucker. Oh my god. Okay, John. So as we've said, you and I are both Chiefs fans, and mm-hmm. and I think we have to talk about. Oh, here we the go. Elephant in the, the elephant in the room, which is yep. offensive, offensive or racist mascot. Yes, yes, we do. And, of course, you know, there were mascots like the Cleveland Indians and the Washington Redskins. Yes. Uh, but they both changed their name already. Yes. Yes. You know? And the, and I'm and I, I'm all for the Chiefs changing their name, by the way. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm fine with it. Uh, you know, change it to the Arrowheads or whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Whatever it is. Uh, but isn't there, like, tribes in the Kansas City area who like the i mean i know there's like there's many voices right right and i don't think you can you can i mean the native american community is not monolithic like not ever you know not all native americans think exactly the same (laughs) way right but but you know it's obviously the chiefs remember how they used to always say uh like well it's named after uh or is it uh harold bartle Harold Rowe Bartle, who was the mayor back in the when the Chiefs first came, and everybody and everybody called him Chief, so that's the reason why we called him. So for a long time, I was like, well, maybe they called him, you know, like Chief of Police or like you know, like you call your boss like Chief right. or something like that. And and come to find out, they called him Chief um, because he was called Chief Lone Wolf or Lone Bear, Chief Lone Bear in his Boy Scout troop. Really? So yeah. So Jesus. he was called Chief. That was his nickname. But he was again pretending to be a Native Indian, American, a Native and American. that's how he. Wow. That's how he got it. Wow. Um, and then also, you know, they picked up the chant from a. a they have the chant, mm-hmm. and then they have the tomahawk chop. Right. For and I don't remember growing. I don't know where the tomahawk chop came. Me along. neither. I think that came I, along in the nineties because I yeah. don't remember doing that. Me neither. Uh, me neither. Back back in the seventies, but I do remember the chief riding around on war paint on the horse. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah, they that. Did other they did other offensive things like yeah. we have a horse called War Paint. Uh, yeah, running around that was. Yep. Um, now they have you know, what's the thing they have now? What is that thing? Is it a wolf? It's a wolf. It's like the wolf pack. Oh, so it's Casey Wolf or something. Yeah, let's change this to the wolves. Yeah. I, I think know. they're heading. I think they're heading in that direction. I think when yeah. they start talking about the kingdom, you know, the chief's uh-huh. kingdom, uh-huh. uh huh, and like the wolf, uh-huh. I think they're kind of like heading that direction. But yeah, I'm all but you for know, it. it's the other thing they always say is, uh, well, the, the chiefs try the organization tries to involve the local, the local Native American tribes in in the organization or in the chief's experience. And then they always say, well, we go out and we do outreach to try to help uh, health in the native American community around Kansas city. We send players out there to talk about leading a healthy lifestyle. And I'm like, look, you could still do all that no matter what the name of your team is. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. Know what I mean, it, That's you don't right. have to do that because you're, you're named whatever you, you right. can still do that. That's still a good thing to do no matter what. Um, but but you know I want to look at why because I'll be honest I I've done in the past I've done the chant I've done the tomahawk chop before mm-hmm. I knew it before I had talked to anybody before I'd done any studying you know what right, I mean right and it, it's one thing if you don't know any better to do something but but once you kind of someone said something to you like hey you know that's kind of offensive to me or like when someone when you've kind of read up on it. And you keep doing it. At that point, it's it's not you don't get a pass on that anymore. Right. <laughs> you're just you're right. just kind of an asshole at that point. Yeah, you know. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you don't care. I, I, right, right. 
And and so I was looking at why are Native American mascots so troublesome for uh, for some people, like for Native Americans. And in the article, Race, Colonialism, and the Politics of Indian Sports Names and Mascots, uh, Kevin Brynell notes that studies have shown that the use of Indian team names and mascots has a clear negative social and psychological impact impact on indigenous people, especially young people. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah. And then... And then Brian Neal goes in and he says, well, you know, people get confused because most people see the use of Native American mascots as being a question of race or racism. And he says it's really a, a, an issue of settler colonialism. So what do we mean by settler colonialism? And settler colonialism was an idea that came about in the 1990s, and it was first put out by the Australian historian, historian Patrick Wolfe. And settler colonialism is a specific type of colonialism where settlers come to stay, the colonizers come to stay in in an area permanently. Right. They take the land. Right. So in other words, unlike basic colonialism, which can can be awful as well, uh, where you come just to take the economic resources of an area and maybe exploit the, the cheap labor of an area, settler colonialism is all about the colonizers want to take not only the land, but they want to remove the indigenous people from the land. Mm-hmm. And also they want to uh, suppress their culture, the indigenous culture. Mm-hmm. And and the, the reason they do that is they want to legitimize the reason they control the land. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you remove the people, you suppress the culture, uh, and then you say, well, we've always been here when, when in fact you haven't always been here. Right. Right. And yeah. And you diminish what, 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 what the culture that's already there right. so that, and, and your culture can take over, your God can take over your right. religion, all of it. Yeah. And, and usually the way that this has been done historically has been through violence, through like military action or mm-hmm. genocide mm-hmm. or, you know, you actually forcibly, you, you make, you take people away from their homes and make mm-hmm. them, you know, force them to assimilate, go to schools. Mm-hmm. They can't practice their own religion, their own, uh, their own language. And so what Brynell says is that the use of Native American mascots is a mnemonic device that disavows the dispossession of indigenous territory and the violent and aggressive assimilatory practices against indigenous people. So he's saying because we we name as a way of, sh- of, of, of making ourselves feel better about taking everything. Right, exactly. So you put these names, and we, it's not only with team names, but it's also like if, uh, like, like geological features or mountains or streams or something, we'll name them after Native Americans or streets. Lots of right. streets are named. We went. Yeah, I went to Pawnee Elementary School. I went to Comanche Elementary. That was the mm-hmm. thing that they did in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Back in the sixties and seventy, or probably even fifties, mm-hmm. you would name all your schools were named after uh, Native American tribes. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yes. And and so it gives you this idea if, if you're part of the colonizer or part of the predominant culture, it gives you this idea that Native Americans are still there; they're still around, right? Even even though you've actually pushed them, displaced them, right completely out of, of out of the community. So we're saying with the Native American uh, mascots, we're actually saying, well, you know, and you know, the other argument people try to make is like, well, we're actually honoring them. We're uh-huh. honoring Native Americans by right. naming our, and uh, that's one argument they make. The other argument that the Washington Redskins always tried to say was, well, it's part of our tradition. The, the team name has been around for 81 years. Therefore we can't change it because it's become a tradition. Right for our fans. And it's like, well, <laughs> how does that make people feel who have been here for 10,000 years or something? Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. have been forced off their land and you're trying to talk about a tradition for your team. Yes. You know, for, for, yeah. Yeah. There's no question. And, I yeah, can't, so that's, the, the fact that the, the team, the Redskins was around for as long yeah. as it was, it's just, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. 
So again, it's the argument kind of being we've forced Native Americans, or with if you look at the settler colonialism, Native Americans were removed from their lands. We forcibly removed them from their lands. We drove them almost to you know their numbers, almost to extinction, really. And then we named our cul-de-sac and elementary schools <clears throat> after them. Yeah, yeah. It's Instead, like the like, final fuck you. Yeah, like we're honoring you. We're going to pretend like you're still there, mm. even though you're not there. And, and so I think if I can look at, you know, to me, that's I could see how that would be offensive. And even if, you know, one of the things people always say, well, that's not racist. I'm not a racist. I'm, it's just the name of the team or what. That's not really about racism because racism is usually, you know, you condescend to someone uh, to give yourself a to denigrate them or to give yourself a sense of superiority. And this is kind of more like you've removed people and then tried to pretend like they're still there, even though you're right. not allowing them to participate in the rest of the culture. Yeah, so re- rewriting reality. Right, right. And and so I, I get it. I can under, you know. I'm I all for it. I say change the name. Yeah. I, 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 it doesn't, I, 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 I'd be fine with it, honestly. I, I, yeah, that's... I don't have any. I'm like, yeah. Anytime anybody says, "Well, how can you root for a team named the Chiefs?" I'm like, change the name. I'm, I'm. Let's do it. Yeah. I just, I'm I like... watched that team because my dad did growing <laughs> up, and that's all it I is. Know. It's, you know, I, I don't want it. It kind of ruins it a little bit now. Older, like you said, knowing the Tom, the it, it, that the name is offensive. I, I want it yeah. changed so that I can just go on enjoying the game, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and honestly, remember when they came to Kansas, they started out as the Houston, or as the Dallas Texans. Yeah. Before yeah, they came right. to Kansas City. That's right. Know? That's right. And, and so... Uh, name, and all football teams change their names all the time. It's not a big yeah. deal. Yeah. But I guess I it love- taps into that tribalism, you know, and people are like, no, that's mine. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's hard on them. I've been and, following and, them since like 65. It's like, look, dude, it's it's just a name. I would love them if they were the turnballs. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't yep. care what the name is. Yep. I would still love the team. Me too. Me too. And, and you know, there was a time, remember when all the Kansas City, talk about tradition, all the Kansas City teams at one time used to all, it was like monarchy or something. Yes. Like you had, you had the royals, you had the kings. Yep. Uh, you had the Monarchs, who were yes. you know, the black team back when yes. baseball was segregated. What was the hockey team? It had a name, too. I can't remember. They were they were the Blues for a while. I think the Blues went somewhere else. But They went to St. Louis. I, I really like that idea. Like, maybe that's the... I don't know what the name is, but, but I don't care. The name doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Really. I, yeah. And I'll still buy all the new shit that they come out with. Yeah! <laughs> I'll wear it. Yeah. All right, John. Well, we started just light and us going to a Super Bowl together, and we end in erasing cultures. (laughs) Damn, what a journey. Uh, I love this. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. It's my pleasure. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it really is fascinating. So uh, this is human number two signing off. And this is human number one. And thank you again, everyone, for listening. And again, if you have a topic that you would like us to to address, Hell or yeah. if you uh, have anything that you think that humanity needs to know about, please let us know, and we will try to do a an episode on it. But yes. thank you again, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. John, thank you. Thank you. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. See you at the Super Bowl. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.